Are you aware that human cloning as a concept was first developed in 1938 by a German scientist? Perhaps you're also unaware that some of the first cloning experiments were successful in the 1950s and by the 1980s amphibians were cloned. And you may already know the story about Dolly the sheep in 1997. We're going to get into that. We also have the guest, Aaron Day, who is responsible for Donald Trump speaking out about central bank digital currency. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Let's get emboldened. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I am your host, Greg Bolden with my special co-host Chris Michaels here on this recap show that we have going for you live on the America Out Loud Network as well as all socials. This conversation today is going to be pretty special. I started a conversation on my Patreon page a little bit earlier this week about human cloning and I had no idea what rabbit hole I was about to go down and the information was pretty shocking, to be quite honest. And I think if you've never thought about human cloning before, you're going to listen to the conversation tonight, and it's going to challenge some of your preconceived notions. And also, you might start to wonder, is that 22-year-old a clone or a naturally born human being? Because that's right. That's about the age that most clones would be at this point in time. But you might be shocked to find out the cloning goes back to 1938, and it was a widely accepted practice throughout the 1970s, something that was perfected in the 1980s. And then by 1997, you found out about it with Dolly the Sheep. And so we're going to bring Chris Michaels on. We're going to talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. What does he have to do with cloning or his brother? As well as we're going to have a special guest coming up a little bit later, Aaron Day, who's running for the president of the United States. But more importantly, he is an expert on central bank digital currency. So when he comes on, we'll get him as well. Chris Michaels, happy weekly recap. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm a little bit uh, a little bit tired this week, despite the fact that I've had days off from work because of all the snow in the Northeast. In fact, I have off tomorrow because of snow in the Northeast as well. So I'm not complaining about that at all, uh, but I don't know what it is, but the weather, maybe not having a lot of sunlight. I feel a little bit drained this week. How, how about yourself? Yeah, you're right. There's something else going on here. And I think it has to do with one, the weather when people don't have enough vitamin D in the sun, then people start to get slow. I remember I was talking to a health expert out here like a couple of years ago, and he brought up how people out West in California and Arizona and Vegas, they look better because they're always getting vitamin D. Yeah. They feel better. They, they act differently. So it's some, something there. I mean, I just look this good naturally. Oh. I, I don't, I don't need to go out into the sunlight and, you know, <laughs> do all this. I guess I have vampire genes all of a sudden. <laughs> Speaking of the genes that we have. Yeah. 
my God, what a rabbit hole I found myself down this week yeah, with human I, cloning. Right, I heard. This all started because <laughs> scientists have told us that the rhesus monkey has finally been cloned and lived into adulthood, showing that it is possible now to artificially create life from cells and turn it into a living organism that is viable for an entire lifetime where before Dolly and all these other uh, different sheep and frogs and rabbits that had been cloned, they never lived to adulthood. They would oftentimes abort early before even birth, or they would have a tumultuous first two years before dying. So I'm wondering when we find out information like this, aren't we kind of behind the actual science curve? Don't they tell us these things long after they've been perfected? Of course, of course. I brought this up in the past too on your show about the moon landing. You think that's the first time they went to the moon and somehow televised it? I'm assuming that whole thing is is correct, right? Right. They would never launch a mission to the moon if they haven't tested it before. So, so of course, we're hearing about the technology after it's been perfected. So God only knows what kind of, I hate to say it, super soldiers are lurking in the background. Well, I was shocked to find out that this practice of the cloning was something that was first philosophized back in 1938. Did you know the cloning goes back that far? No. I mean, I've heard hints about it, but I've not done enough research to it back then. So who was doing this and why? So back in 1938 was the first idea of somatic cell nuclear transfer in mammals. And the uh, idea was first uh, something that came up from, uh, let me find out all my different people that did this. 1938, 1938 was Hans Spemann, S-P-E-M-A-N-N, taught zoology at the University of Freiburg in Freiburg, Germany. I was going to say, this does sound quite German. <laughs> I, I should have assumed that the Anglo-Saxons had their hand in this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it is definitely going to be German in this, but let's listen to this. What he proposed was he wanted to transplant a nucleus from a differentiated cell into an embryo of an egg after removing the egg's nucleus. So he would take um, a cell from a organism that could be dead already and put that into an organism that was still alive removing that nucleus and then create new life with it. But the problem was the technology was not available at that point in time for him to be able to do this. And so we know that in 1981, it was Carl Imonisi who first cloned a mammal. He cloned a frog, but there's been that's plenty of, that, that's correct. I know, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. We get the dolly in 1997. All right. All right. What I'm telling you is that's what they've told us. Right. We know that as what they've shared with us about clones. That in 1938, the technology first was kind of thought about what would be needed. And by 1981, it started being successful. Uh, we can also find out that back in 1952, there was uh, two scientists uh, by the name of Robert Keane and Thomas Briggs that were working on cancer research at the Institute of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And guess what they were doing? 
they were doing the same nuclear transfer techniques that 1938 they were talking about, but this time we're transplanting into blastula cells in frog embryos in order to see what they could do for cancer research, which then leads me to wonder, did we weaponize cancer in some way in a cell format into nature? Uh, is that something that could have happened in 1952? Then by 1975 in Oxford, uh, England, they had rabbit embryos that were able to be uh, cloned, but what they found was they were having trouble getting them to birth. So the transfers went all the way through 1981, mostly with amphibians being successful. And it wasn't until 1996 that we get Dolly the sheep that everybody's aware of as the first cloned mammal. Uh, and then after that, it gets really, really interesting. So I want to ask, do you think that the first cloned mammal was really Dolly? Or do you think that that's just what you've been told? No, I think that was what we were been told. Or at least we're allowed to know about. To assume, to, to, to think that these experiments have been going on since at least 1938. And I say at least 1938 because we right. have the same ugh, we have the same control structures now as we did then in even more of them now. Right. So it's the same concept. If they're telling you about it in 1938, then they've already done it for a decade at least. And I would assume that whatever's behind closed doors, especially in countries like China or let's just say Dolce Air Force Base, it's light years ahead of whatever we're allowed to talk about. So here's where it gets really crazy, right? So now we're in 1997. Mm -hmm. In 1997, there's this group that comes out called the Raelians. Mm. Now, Raelians had been around for decades before as far as practicing Raelianism. They are uh, people who are atheist, but yet, I gotta love the irony, they still believe that Elohim created humans and sent them to Earth, and that as a result, they got this divine message that they were to clone humans. And so they started a foundation called Clone Aid in 1997 in West Virginia, which prompts Bill Clinton to issue a statement. I'm going to play that statement for listeners right now so you guys can see just how serious things got rather quick. Our administration believes that there are loopholes that could allow the cloning of human beings if such if the technology were developed. Therefore, today I am issuing a directive that bans the use of any federal funds for any cloning of human beings. Effective immediately, no federal agency may support, fund, or undertake such activity. Of course, a great deal of research and activity in this area is supported by private funds. That is why I am urging the entire scientific and medical community, every foundation, every university, every industry that supports work in this area, to heed the federal government's example. I'm asking for a voluntary moratorium on the cloning of human beings until our Bioethics Advisory Commission and our entire nation have had a real chance to understand and debate the profound ethical implications of the latest advances. As we gain a fuller understanding of this technology, we must proceed not with caution, not just with caution, but also with a conscience. By insisting that not a single taxpayer dollar supports human cloning, and by urging a moratorium on all private research in this area, we can ensure that as we move forward on this issue, 
We weigh the concerns of faith and family and philosophy and values, not merely of science alone. Thank you. So Bill Clinton comes out shortly after Clonaid and the Food and Drug Administration, they take away Clonaid's ability to get any funding. So what do they do? They take their headquarters from Geneva, Switzerland with Clonaid in West Virginia, and they move to the Bahamas to get around the Food and Drug Administration. Now, when I tell you Geneva, Switzerland, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, CERN. What else? Uh, Davos. Davos, where they're all meeting. And how about the Geneva Code? All that too. Supposed to be the ethics of experimenting on people, right? Of course. Ethics. Experimenting on people. Makes perfect sense. Are clones people? Well, that really depends upon your definition of what a person is and whether or not a person has a soul now, isn't it? Yes, it does. So just a little bit, I'll, I'll, I'll contribute in this way. So Raelianism, right? Mm-hmm. Or Raelians or whatever they're called. Going back a little bit, the guy who started this, his name was Claude... Vorilhan, Vorilhan, I think is how you pronounce it. And then he was abducted by these UFOs and he changed his name to Rael. So Rael was born in 1946. He was born in Vichy, France. So Vichy, France is essentially the southern portion of France because France was divided in two when the Nazis took over. And Vichy was allowed a certain level of autonomy as much as a puppet government can be allowed. So if he's born in that part of France, that also implies that there is an occult background to this too, because Dr. Joseph Farrell has brought this up in his research where the Americans and the SS, they were essentially assuming that there was some kind of uh, occult relic. And, And you can say it could have been the grail or the philosopher's stone or something like that in the Southern portion of France. And it seems as though that they were both racing each other to find this. And one of them found it, either the Americans or the SS, and then maybe the Americans after the SS found it by the end of the war. So you have this group that believes that the Elohim created mankind out of aliens, uh, or the alien Elohim created mankind out of an experiment through genetics and all that. Why does that sound familiar? Because if you listen to the alternative media, not the new mainstream alternative media, I'm talking about conspiracy theory media, that's what's been pumped into the fabric of that of that media for the past, what, five years, six years, seven years. I mean, you can even go back to Zechariah Sitchin, where he brings up the fact that these aliens traveled throughout the solar system to Earth and then created mankind, right? But if you go back even further, and Gigi Young points this out, that whole mythology, that whole mythos, actually is a cult Nazi mythos that came around through... Uh, or at least during the late 20s and early 30s. So this whole idea that mankind is some genetic experiment from aliens, if you go back and do your research, it's really a Nazi occult mythos theme. So when I see this stuff, I go, what is honestly going on here? And if you do any research into this guy and the Raelians and all of that, you find out, that he believes in the seven angels and all of this. Well, that's a very occult style uh, uh, belief system. And then he also talks about how there are seven races of mankind, also occult style uh, 
uh, reasoning there, right? Right. So there, there's that symbol of Raelianism. Where did we see that before? Oh, I know, Kanye West, right? <laughs> right. He posted that. He said he was a Raelian. Remember that? Yeah, That's how he got kicked off. Well, it's funny, in my comment section tonight, somebody's like, Kanye West is a clone. <laughs> got- how, how funny would that be? Raelianism, and then... On top of that, they own Clonade. They've stated that they cloned the first human being back in 2002, named Eve on December 26th, right? right? So and most people have stated they think that's a bunch of crap, uh, but they have since said that they've cloned 14 more individuals. Which is also interesting. Now, right. the other part of this that's interesting is that these people, if you go back into, uh, if you read a little bit about their beliefs, the Raelian beliefs, they believe in... I forgot the exact term, but they believe in in sensual meditation. That's what it was. So what exactly could sensual meditation be? Well, they are essentially a low-grade sex cult. And they hosted things like, oh, an event called Clitter Aid, which is where (laughs) they supported the idea that gender mutilation of African kids, of course, it all goes back to Africa, is a crime and you shouldn't do it. And they created all sorts of support for that. So are they creating clones for sex magic? I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be out of the realm. Well, spare or parts. Going organs. back going or parts and organs. Like you referenced on your Patreon, you had somebody tell you that if you knew mm-hmm. it was behind closed doors, you'd throw up. Correct. So the other part of this, um, have you ever heard of what's called a moon child? No. Okay. So if you go back and read your Elister Crowley, you know, the the big time occultist. He wrote a book called The Moon Child. And basically, the whole idea of a moon child is you impregnate a woman, and instead of the soul that's supposed to go into that child's body, you try to summon another soul, it potentially being a demon. So you summon a demon into a child, into a into a woman's body. So you're talking about a possession style of uh, creating life, if you will. Are we looking at the same kind of concept here with these guys, given their occult background? Are they trying to create clones that would enable these beings, these transdimensional beings that all of a sudden we're hearing about on Capitol Hill now? Now UFOs are transdimensional. Are we allowing them or are these people trying to get these transdimensional beings into a 3D body because they couldn't otherwise manifest here? It's a lot of uh, big questions there. It's very interesting, especially when you throw AI into the mix. Extremely interesting. Um, people want to live forever. You got these billionaires right now that are trying to get themselves set up for their future lives, so to speak. And you got to wonder, are they hoping to clone themselves? You know, all they need, and I looked this up. You can look this up as well. Like everything that's being stated right now by me, Michaels is going into a little bit of the lore, but the stuff that I'm talking about, it's all verified science things that are easily, easily found on the internet, on the company's websites. You can go the clonade. You can go the see the Korean scientists that have been working on these, the Chinese scientists have been working on this. Uh, you can see the states that have banned this. There's 15 states in the United States that do not allow human hybrid cloning. Uh, there's The rest of the states do not have any bans on it. Uh, very, very interesting when you go down this. All right, Chris, let's pivot here to get to our guest tonight. I'm bringing back a guest that 
Previously, when he came onto the show, he was running for the president of the United States. Now, he is no longer running for president of the United States uh, because, quite honestly, his message is getting out there. He's an experienced entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's an advisor with a diverse background that spans almost three decades in sectors like e-commerce, healthcare, blockchain, AI, which Chris and I were just talking about, as well as clean technology. And now he is a current fellow at the Brownstone Institute focused on enlightening people about the dangers of CBDCs and empowering them to take direct action in order to stop them. His political activism you might have heard of before in 2008 after his healthcare business suffered due to the government regulations. And Day has since been deeply involved in various political and nonprofit organizations. He's been advocating for freedom and individual liberty, which we talked about on the show a few months ago when he was on. Uh, he has a lot of different roles in many different organizations. He's a CEO of a nonprofit think tank, chairman of the Free State Project, leadership positions in the Republican Liberty Caucus. He goes through a ton of different political journeys. I could go on and on and on, but then we would never get to him onto the show. Most importantly, I think one thing that I want to point out here is he wrote the book, The Final Countdown, Crypto, Gold, Silver, and the People's Last Stand Against Tyranny by the Central Bank Digital Currencies. And so, Aaron Day, welcome back to America Emboldened. Oh, thank you for having me back. Glad, Glad we could do here. this on uh, short notice. Absolutely. Thanks for joining on short notice. The reason why I wanted you to join is because of this clip right here that I'm about to play. Um, not sure if you saw this uh, already, but Donald Trump made a very interesting comment a little bit, I guess, just about 24 hours ago. He made this. I'm going to play it for everybody. I get my audio up. There we go. That way everybody can hear it. All right, Aaron, it's made it to the mainstream now. You got Donald Trump talking about central bank digital currency. Can you believe it? Yep. Uh, I, I can believe it. If you can see my pinned tweet, I'd, I'd like to say that I had something to do with that, um, very specifically to do with that. Uh, I, I have I ran for president specifically to raise issue raise the issue of central bank digital currencies. In fact, I was I was trying to get into the Republican debates because I thought that would give me a platform. Little did I know um, the debates were going to be meaningless. The leading candidates weren't going to participate. And, you know, all of the questions were going to be completely staged and addressing none of the major issues like CBDC or COVID tyranny. Nevertheless, it gave me a platform to go out and speak, participate in a number of, uh, of different events. What you're seeing on this pinned tweet, this and was from I'm June. Uh, I gave Vivek Ramaswamy a copy of my book. And I, I have uh, interacted with Vivek on three different occasions currency. because I, you know, I know people that I know the chair of his New Hampshire campaign. Um, we were both speaking at the Blockchain National Summit in Dallas, which is where he unveiled his crypto policy. I was also speaking. Uh, at that event. And, and it turns out Vivek has read my book. He actually read it and, and we've discussed it. And I was, uh, you know, I, relentless on pushing him on this issue. I put together an anti-CBDC pledge. Um, and I, every day I would tweet, sign the pledge, push this, get this to Trump, you know, and, and he knows how I feel on this issue. He's against CBDCs as well, not to the extent that I am. So where, so where we have a difference, and, and what he told me was he agrees with the first half of my book, 
and we diverge on the back half of the book. Oh, sorry about that. Um, and the back half of the book is what I'm saying is there's not a political solution to this. They're going to push through CBDCs. The only way we stop it is by exiting the dollar, having people move into self-custody crypto, gold, and silver, and using those alternative currencies in a parallel economy. That is the way that we stop it. They're trying to Vivek, get you to stop talking about it right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Vivek's approach uh, is he thinks he can reduce the size of the Federal Reserve and everything else. And so I put together this anti-CBDC pledge. And what it says is, listen, you know, if elected president, I will veto and do everything in my power to stop a CBDC. But the most important part of the pledge is this is the back half of the pledge, which says, if they try to implement a CBDC before 2024, then I will use my best efforts to help promote to my followers that they should, in fact, exit the dollar and move into these self-custody alternatives. So in other words, if Vivek's right and he wins, then you know his plan works out. But if they try to sneak it through before, then what I was asking him and other candidates to do is to support me in taking the message directly to the people that they have an option, which is to take matters in their own hand and move into alternatives and exit banks. So that so this has been an ongoing conversation that I've had with Vivek. Now, what happened was Vivek dropped out of the race, endorsed Trump, and then he convinced Trump to uh, adopt this position on CBDCs, which was announced in my home state of New Hampshire yesterday. So I'd like to, to say that I've got, I had at least some, um, some impact on this because I have been hounding everybody. And when I say hounding everybody, I've gotten a copy of my book to RFK. I've gotten a copy of my book to Trump. Uh, there are a couple of libertarian candidates, Mike Rechtenwald and uh, Mike Termott, who have signed the anti-CBDC pledge, um, several state reps in New Hampshire, but it, I, I'm hounding everybody. I will talk to anybody. I've talked to Ted Cruz when I was at that conference in DC, or excuse me, in Texas. I spoke with three U.S. senators, you know, three members of, of, of the House of Representatives. They all have copies of my book. Uh, I've been pushing this pledge on on people in the state legislature across the country, and I'm not going to stop on this issue because, to me, this is the single most important. Uh, issue and the biggest threat to human liberty, because once CBDCs are in place, once you have a digital form of money that the government can monitor, uh, censor, and program, then they can add anything they want on top of that to basically control all of your behavior. So social credit scores, vaccine passports, digital IDs, it is the gateway to tyranny. That is the intention of it. And so I, I put my entire life on hold. I've gotten rid of all of my other projects. I'm not working on any entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, this is is the single issue. And so I'm I'm hounding everyone on this. Now, to the extent that Trump has said he's against CBDCs, let me tell you, I'm encouraged because what that means is CBDCs are trending and people are starting to look at this. But understand this, it's now more likely than ever that they're going to try to push through CBDCs before the 2024 election. I have an article coming out hopefully tomorrow on uh, the Brownstone Institute site, which I will share, where I walk through the fact that the U.S. has already completed three successful CBDC pilots. The technology already exists. All three of the pilots were done in conjunction with the MIT Multimedia Lab, uh, whose chair, Joy Ito, 
received funding from Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates, and whose private investment funds were actually used to hobble Bitcoin, to turn Bitcoin from digital cash to digital gold, which is something Jeffrey Epstein has spoken on the record in 2017 as being for. Bitcoin is a store of value, not as something to be used as currency. And I'm tracking down the relationships on that. But, but what I'm trying to say here is the important point is the technology exists. Biden has passed an executive order authorizing it. I spoke to Ted Cruz, who put in a bill to block CBDC in the U.S. Senate. It failed. And he told me flat out there is no support in the U.S. Senate to stop it. He said that based on what's going on, it's conceivable that Elizabeth Warren will be the chair of the Finance Committee in 2024 if the Democrats win. And Elizabeth Warren, as recently as last week, was out stating she wanted to implement a CBDC. So so they're trying to do this. And so what I think Trump now Trump coming out against this is going to mean they're going to try to push this through. And by the way, I think it will be easy for them to push it through because they are going to use the terrorism and money laundering card. So if we have a terrorist attack here, false flag or otherwise, they're going to say, look, we have to, to keep people safe. We have to stop terrorist financing. And they're going to blame both crypto and cash for that. And they'll get bipartisan support to ram through a CBDC, the technology for which already exists. So that's that's kind of my lay of the land on on where we are with this issue. It's like a Patriot Act all over again. Well, it's like the Patriot Act. It's like TARP. It's like CARES Act. And, and I actually, I mean, I kind of outlined that. It was like one month and 15 days after 9-11 or something like that. We got the Patriot Act. It was a few weeks after Lehman Brothers collapsed that we got TARP. And we got the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. I believe it was 15 or 16 days after COVID was declared a pandemic on a voice vote. So um, all of these horrendous massive pieces of legislation that strip of strip us of our rights and our resources are always put in under emergencies and and now in the most recent example without even a tallied vote how does what's going on in the middle east and ukraine play into cbdc's well i mean from my, from my perspective what it's going to do is it's going to give political cover particularly for republicans to be able to support the idea of a CBDC specifically around the issue of money laundering and terrorism. Because you have a few things going on in the Middle East. You have the, the conflict itself, and then you have a bigger battle going on, which is BRICS nations, which are expanding. So you have Brazil, Russia, India, China, um, and I think it's, I don't know, 10 or so other countries, including Saudi Arabia and the UAE that are now banding together and they want to move off the dollar. They've declared that they are no longer going to be using the dollar. So this is a big battle right now over the dominance of, of the currency and basically the elimination of the United States dollar is the global reserve currency. So that all plays into it with what you see going on in the Middle East, either with Russia and Ukraine or what's going on in the Middle East and, and that being more of a uh, an extension of the Russia-Ukraine situation. And so to me, it is the perfect... It's, you know, I, I can see Nikki Haley, I think, would be very much for CBDC. We know Biden is for CBDC. A lot of these people want this and they're going to package it one of two ways. They're either going to say that the benefits are financial inclusion and uh, and convenience, which is what they're going to try to use to to get, uh, zo you know, Zoomers and, and millennials on board. And then they're going to use the terrorism and safety angle to get boomers and, and, and Gen X on board. And so they're going to use the carrot and the stick approach. But what's going on in the Middle East, I think, will be a catalyst for an emergency action, which will which will bring this whole thing in. So I really do believe they're going to try to do this. So what I've been doing is going around the country giving presentations. But I 
and, and you know, promoting my book. But beyond that, um, it takes sitting down with people and actually getting them to the point where they have self-custody crypto gold and silver in their hands. So what I'm doing now are four-hour workshops, which I'm going to be starting in the next couple of weeks, where I'm going around the country. When you come out of the workshop, I'm going to teach the material that's in my book, but you will walk out with a self-custody wallet with crypto in it. You will you will walk out with a gold back and you will walk out with some silver because people need that first step because a lot of people read my book, they're terrified. And my goal isn't to terrify people. My goal is to empower people. That The situation is bad and it's dire, but my goal is not to spread panic. My goal is to actually empower people to do something about it. And we can, and it's fairly easy to do, but it requires a kind of a hands-on approach. So Aaron, do you think... Um that all of these states that are trying to create their own gold bullion vaults are tied to this. Do you think they kind of read the tea leaves and they're trying to counter this central banking digital currency with a state digital currency? This is this is another approach that's going on, and I and I know some of the folks that are that are working on that, and this is something that we have a bill uh, in 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 New Hampshire, and I support these efforts to to make gold and silver legal tender on a state-by-state -state basis. And I think that's one strategy. However, realistically, I, I think that the way this happens is in, in an emergency, it's going to get pushed through and, and even the states will end up you know, complying. In other words, I think that there's not enough time, but, um, but of course I could be wrong on time. So it's certainly beneficial for this effort to also be going on at the state level. Right. And so I, I'm assuming that you know of Catherine Austin Fitz and all that, right? Yes. Yeah. So do you agree with her when she says that these digital currencies are nothing more than coupons, that they can be we altered in any way possible? And in, in essence, you can create a New York digital currency that has an exchange rate against the Bank of America digital currency that could exchange differently against the federal United States digital currency? Um, I, well, I certainly think any government-backed digital currency is no different than fiat except except it's actually worse because of the programmability elements of it so um i haven't followed what she's been saying i'm, I'm going to see her at an event here shortly in a few weeks and i look forward to talking to her about this in fact maybe i'll see if she can be a part of the a working group that i'm doing uh, in, at the brownstone institute to bring other people in and, and to share other ideas i know she's been more negative on on bitcoin you know for instance in my book and in my talks i, I promote certain decentralized proof of work cryptocurrencies is an alternative to the fiat dollar and a way to prevent CBDCs. But it's a very short list. It's only a handful of cryptocurrencies that I think could serve as a separation of money and state, because the important part of this is to actually separate money and state. Every fiat currency in human history has failed. There have been thousands of them. Uh, this guy did a, an analysis called Dollar Days. He analyzed 750 fiat currencies. The average fiat currency only lasts 27 years. And they all fail. And they all fail for a specific list of reasons. And the dollar is no exception. A state uh, digital currency wouldn't be any different. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the fiat model just simply doesn't work. And yeah. it's insane to continue to try to use that same model over and over again when through something like Bitcoin, something that's decentralized, you actually have a revolution in money because you are separating money and state and it has other technical features that that other forms of money simply don't have. Aaron, I'm curious, Sam Bankman-Fried, right? I was doing shows about him when you and I last spoke. 
I had already covered the fact that Bank of America and all these other banks had gone ahead and ran their testing for central bank digital currency. I was feeling like Sam Bankman-Fried had been arrested because they were starting to bring in to have control over the narrative over what was going on in, in the cryptocurrency world. Now that most of these charges have been dropped against him, what does that mean for central bank digital currency and what was his role in all of this? Well, I think his role was going to be to try to put in place regulation to clamp down on other cryptocurrencies, decentralized cryptocurrencies. I, I think what they were working on was something that would make it so that only a select group of, of exchanges could actually engage in dealing with cryptocurrencies at all. In fact, I expect that if he stuck around and was part of this, you they would ban self-custody crypto wallets and you would only be able to uh, have crypto through a registered wallet, through a uh, validated exchange. So I, I think that part of what they were trying to do with with SBF was use him as kind of a front to crack down on decentralized crypto while buying them time to do what they need to do on the back end to make CBDCs a reality. And some of the interesting things that happened around that time when the banks started to fail, uh, there were two banks, Silvergate uh, and Signature Bank, that actually had competitive offerings to the FedNow system. So the FedNow system is something that the Federal Reserve rolled out that's an instant payment platform. Well, Signature and Silvergate actually had competitive offerings. And so I think that there was an orchestrated run on both of those banks that included the SEC and the Federal Reserve to shut them down. And in the case of, I believe it was Silvergate, which is the one that Barney Frank was on the board of, they actually put specific terms on whoever acquires the bank can't engage in the crypto industry at all for at least five years. And it ended up being that Bank Mellon of New York is the bank that ended up buying that. They have trillions of dollars under, under management. So I absolutely think Sam Bankman-Fried, whether he knew he was complicit or not, you know, I, I, I don't know. To, I, he does not strike me as a mastermind type. I think we're kind of learning that. I think he was a useful, a useful pawn that they could that they could use to push their agenda through. So here we are. Well, last time we spoke, uh, you were trying to say the exit the fiat dollar, right? We want to exit the fiat dollar, exit, exit, exit. Matter of fact, you had a, uh, a hashtag, I think I ran with the show. What's your advice now that you're seeing that things might be shifting before the election and there might be even more, uh, might have to hasten the action of citizens, what would you suggest? I mean, my, my suggestion is, well, I, I'm doubling down on what I said, but but what I've learned, I've traveled to 20 states uh, and I've learned a lot meeting with people all over the country. And it's changed my perspective on how to do this. That's why I've come down to this idea of, I, I need to do a four hour workshop. I want to meet with as many people as I can in person. I'm not going to get millions of people on person. So eventually there's going to be an online version of this, but I'm always going to do in-person meetings because nothing uh, is more impactful than being able to interact with people live. I think we, you know, we missed that a lot during COVID, but it's it, it particularly important. I will tell you, I was just in Silicon Valley of all places. I, I presented at a Silicon Valley Liberty Forum. And there were over 300 people there. And I would say they were all boomers. Um, and there was a line. We, we sold out of books. There was huge, huge interest in this. But people want that next step. They want to be educated on this. So to me, it's a race against time to make sure I've done this four-hour course and gone through enough iterations of it to work out the kinks so that I can then scale it online. But I, that is that is my number one mission. And that's part of why... 
I uh, partnered up with the Brownstone Institute because the Brownstone Institute, if you don't follow them, if you haven't followed them, it is an amazing organization. I've known Jeffrey Tucker for over a decade and our paths have crossed uh, through multiple Liberty Ventures. And, and we ended up in very much the same position, which is that the Liberty think tanks and Liberty groups uh, were either asleep or were complicit during the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. I, you know, institute what Cato did and what other institutions did and did not do is is horrifying. And so, Jeffrey built basically a a place for for dissidents, people that were speaking the truth, to to come together to share ideas, to debate, and and people have different ideologies. But I think, and in fact, that's the, one of the most fascinating things is people have different political backgrounds who came to this, but were just shocked about what happened with these lockdowns. People in academia that were absolutely silenced, people in the medical field that were at the top of their field mm -hmm. that were fired. And, and Jeffrey has created an environment where people can discuss these ideas openly. And so um, I've, I've already found in just, you know, I became a fellow just this month and already, I mean, I've spoken in a group with 300 people. The first chapter of my book was featured on the front page of zero hedge. I mean, it, this is going to catapult getting this message out because Brownstone really are the, the Brownstone Institute. Those are the early adopters. Those are the people that already understand the COVID tyranny. And what I'm trying to do is add this element of, well, if you thought COVID was bad, wait until you see what they've got next. Let's try to get ahead of that. And that's what I'm trying to do in conjunction it, with the Brownstone Institute. You actually reminded me, I need to get Jeffrey and his bow tie on my show because he agreed to come on uh, a while back. And I told him I will wear a bow tie that night. So both of us will have bow ties on when he comes on to the show. So I am okay. going to reach out to him and let him know that you and I just spoke. We did this show on the America Out Loud Network, as well as we were streaming for everybody and uh, trying to get this message out uh, far and wide. And you're absolutely correct. Brownstone Institute has been doing phenomenal work finding the marginalized voices that Chris Michaels and I already are pretty well aware of who the major players are, the people that were speaking truth the entire time, fighting for people's liberty, and did so at great cost to the professional careers, uh, to the ad hominem attacks that went towards them. And Aaron, I hope you can stay out of that as you are going to be going up against the belly of the beast, the Federal Reserve, and going up against people like the WEF that would like to see this agenda. Uh, but I appreciate you coming back onto the show once again and laying this all out for people because I believe, and I know Chris Michaels as well does, that this is the biggest issue that no one is talking about. Central bank digital currency taking your current money that you have that you can physically hold and making it disappear overnight, basically, to the point where, you know what, you drove your car too much this week, you can't put gas in your car because it can all be controlled by a data set system. Very, very, very dangerous, or you could become an enemy of the state for saying something that they did not like. And so Aaron, keep getting this message out there. Uh, thank you so much for getting that in uh, Ramaswamy's hands and for helping the influence getting Donald Trump to talk about it. Uh, and I'm so glad that you were able to make time for us here on the show today. So thank you so much for all your work. Well, thank, thank you for having me. And I just want to say one, one final thing is I, I, what's important for me is that people not be complacent. So this, I, I don't want people to think, oh, again, Trump now is against this. We don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore because um, there are no white knights 
there are no white knights. The only way we save ourselves from the tyranny that is planned for us with UN Agenda 2030 and everything else is if we take direct action ourselves. So it's to me the most important. While I was excited that Trump is talking about this, I, it also said to me, OK, they're going to try to push this even faster now. And at the same time, this is going to have a lot of his supporters who believe he's going to win. Uh, and it's going to be a landslide, they're going to now not focus on understanding what CBDCs are, what the alternatives are. And that would be a big mistake because we don't know if Trump is going to win. We don't know if Trump is going to even make it to the election with respect to these lawsuits. Um, th there are a lot of other variables at play here. And so I, I would urge people to take action directly immediately. Well, thank you, Aaron. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you coming back onto the show. As always, it's been a pleasure to have you here. So, uh, Thank you. And if I can do anything in the future for you, you reach out. I'll be happy to help because you've been awesome to uh, the listening audience here. I appreciate that. Thanks. Absolutely. All right, Michaels, what do you think? Aaron Day laying it all out, central bank digital currency. I told you that was going to be awesome, wasn't it? Oh, man. He's like, spot on. And it's so good to he's see the that. expert. Yeah, and it's so good to see that he has the prescience to understand what's really at stake here. Yeah. Like, we have to have more people that think like him because he thinks in the same timelines as the elites do, years and decades out. Mm -hmm. And he's 100% right, too, about what he said with, you don't know if Trump's going to win because you don't even know if he's going to make it to the finish line in one way or another. Right. So we have to create all of these policies now. It has to be not in the hands of these elites. All right. Well, look, we're going to break here on the America Out Loud Network. It's been a great weekly recap. But if you want to hear more of the conversation, you want to hear about Vivek Ramaswamy and what he and his brother have to do with possible human cloning, you're going to want to subscribe over on Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash America Emboldened, where we're going to continue that conversation between Chris Michaels and myself and the research that we've been doing. Until then, everybody, I hope that you all, we've honored your time well this evening or tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to it. And uh, we'll be back next week with another weekly recap. Michaels, thanks for being here. Oh, as always, Greg, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all our listening audience for, for having, right? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm teasing. All right, bold Americans, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels. Be bold, America. <laughs>